Today, Isaiah 47 and 48, we're going to talk about human pride, and you might think the next words out of my mouth are human hum- humility, but not really. It's human pride and, here it is, God's grace. So I'm joining commentators, Bible scholars who pair these two chapters, Isaiah 47 and 48, and see in them a contrast, a contrast between two cities, Babylon, Jerusalem. We'll explain what that means. A contrast between two futures, a future of judgment to destruction and a future of grace to salvation. Two ways of living, pride or faith. What these chapters are not is a contrast between two different kinds of human qualities. This is not about human pride versus human humility. A lot of humans are very proud about their humility. This is not a contrast between human sinfulness and human righteousness. All humans are sinful in these two chapters. Both groups are and are proud in rebellion against God. Humans think that the world is made up of good people and bad people, and goodness and badness, humanly speaking, is the difference between their future. But the Bible says that the world is made up of sinful people, proud and rebellious against God. And the difference, the difference in their future is the grace of God and the way of faith. This is God's glory, not only in His nature and who He is, but in His grace toward sinners. So the contrast in Isaiah 47 and 48 is not between two kinds of people, two kinds of human nature. It's between human pride and the way of God's grace and faith. Chapter 47, human pride. Chapter 48, more human pride, but God's grace. Now I'm going to read a portion because you're thinking, we're going to read all two chapters uh, out loud. I'm going to read a portion. I'm going to start in verse 47, read the first part, because that is the address to Babylon, the city of human pride. Then I'm going to skip to the end of chapter 48 and read the last part of that, because that is the future of God's people that He pours out His grace and who walk by faith. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word. Isaiah 47, 1 through 3, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour and put off your veil and strip off your robe and uncover your legs and pass through the waters. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. Chapter 48, the last part. Come out of Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Again, the main point is not a contrast between two kinds of humans, one unrighteous and the other righteous. That's not the basic makeup of the world, although the world thinks so. The world is made up of sinful people. 
And the grace of God and the way of faith make the difference. You can write over the Bible. We've said a thousand times here at Grace, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but many, by grace through faith. Chapter 47, here's an overview. Chapter 47, the message is to Babylon specific. The people of the day of Isaiah and the exiles who showed no mercy on the Jewish people in captivity, in exile. They lived in pride. They lived in pride of their own accomplishments. They lived in pride of their own culture. It's a specific message to a specific people in that time. And at the same time, chapter 47, is universal for all time. Because as we'll see, Babylon in the Bible comes to represent the whole world of pride and an anti-God posture. And then we come to chapter 48. The message, again, is specific to the house of Jacob, God's people Israel, specific to their Jewish exile, telling them that though they have been unfaithful and obstinate and stiff-necked, God is their God by God's own choosing for God's own glory, and He is going to refine them for His purposes. And He's going to save them by grace through faith, and they are going to return to their homeland. And yet, as the word unfolds, we see that chapter 48 is a message to all who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, all who hear and listen and go out of Babylon, flee from the life of human pride, and on their way out, the Holy Spirit gets Babylon out of their hearts as they follow the rock who is Christ. That's the overview, the beautiful overview of these two chapters of the Bible. Let's take them one at a time. Chapter 47 is a word to Babylon. Babylon, the so-called free people who because of their pride are going to be taken captive. They're going to be judged by God. Again, this word is certain judgment in the context of Isaiah. A certain judgment on a people and a nation that held God's people captive. But it's also a word of warning. This is a word of warning to the world. It's a word of warning to the world today. Babylon today, living in the boastful pride of life and not under the lordship of Christ. It's a word to the world today that says flee from the city of Babylon and the wrath of God to come. It's a word that says flee to Christ we see it in three parts in chapter 47. The first part is the coming humiliation of Babylon. The first four verses, I read three of them, but the first four verses in chapter 47, actually in, in verses five and seven, you'll see that Babylon is called the mistress of kingdoms. Babylon at this time is the queen of the world. Babylon has a long history. We first read about Babylon in Genesis 10 and 11. It's about the Tower of Babel, where humans tried to make a name for themselves by building a tower that reached into the heavens. It was a symbol of their prosperity, of their security, on their own, without God. Babylon has become a representative for the whole world system 
that is characterized by pride and pleasure and what we call the self-hyphenated sins, self-hyphenated living that sets oneself against God. Babylon wasn't just one city. As we said, it's representative of the whole world against God. The apostle Peter referred to Rome when he wrote his letter, 1 Peter. He, he said he was in Rome, and he called Rome Babylon. Rome was the power of the day, the people who thought that they could make life work without God, rule the world without God. There, Peter, the person of God, the apostle of God, and there's a church there, imprisoned there, Peter was. And he says, from Babylon I'm writing, from Rome. By the time we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 18, we see the end of Babylon. Babylon is cast down at the end because Jesus Christ reigns and rules as Lord. So, Let's don't be obsessed nor frightened by the world. Let's not be awed by the world. Let's not be captivated by the world. Let's not be intimidated by it. Babylon, in the end, falls. And we hear the prophecy in verses 1 through 3. He says, we read it, come down, sit in dust, put off your veil, grind the flour. You're going to pass through in your nakedness. Your disgrace is going to be seen by all. Isaiah can't help himself. He's talking about the humiliation of the world of pride against God. In verse 4, he must, he breaks into his own prophecy and he says, But our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name. He is the Holy One of Israel. There's the coming humiliation of this whole world. We must understand that that is the end. Babylon falls. The second part, second section in this chapter is verses 5 through 11. It's the pride that comes before the fall. Verse 5, the Lord says he's going to judge Babylon. No longer will she be mistress of kingdoms, the queen of the world. She has pride. Now in verses 6 and 7, it's very interesting. The Lord says, in fact, that he for his own people, he disciplined them. He, the Lord says he, in fact, gave his people into the hands of Babylon. We've been talking about that. The, the mystery of God that he would use a pagan nation to discipline his people. He did that because of their pride. But he says of Babylon, you didn't realize that you were just my instrument. And you showed no mercy on my people. You pushed it. You pushed their captivity to the end. And there are consequences for that. But look at this pride, verses 8 and 10. Babylon says something. Verse 8 says, The Lord speaks of Babylon is the one who said in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. And she says it again in verse 10, I am, and there is no one beside me. Question for you, where have you heard those words before? From God. These are God's words. I am, and there is no one beside me. And here Babylon is using the very words of God to identify herself. This is the pride of self-deification. It's what the world is doing. Not just this one city in history, but this spirit. Self-deification. And it's a it's a deceptive pride, it is. <clears throat> False security, verse 8. This queen 
of the world, this mistress of the kingdoms, says in verse 8, the end of verse 8, I'm never going to sit as a widow. I'm never going to lose my children. I have what I have, and I'll always keep it, because I am God. I am the world. And the Lord says it's a false security. You, you will lose what you have. And it's a false secrecy. Verse 10, Babylon says, no one sees me. In her heart, no one sees me. And that's what the world does. That's what we do when worldliness is in our hearts. We think we can live our lives and no one looks. And maybe no one sees. Maybe no one's, everybody sees the outside. And no one really knows what's going on in our hearts. But God sees. And that's why he says it's foolish. You'll be led astray, verse 10. You will be led astray in your own wisdom, in your own knowledge, in your own pride. And then verse 11 comes the fall. But evil shall come upon you which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing. There is the fall. And then he says to Babylon at the end of this chapter, Nothing is going to be able to save you. Verses 12 through 15, he says, your charms can't do it. Your sorcerers, your magic won't be able to do it. <clears throat> your astrology won't be able to do it. And that was Babylon of the day. Every sort of, of magic and witchcraft and astrology and charms, all of these idols that they had thinking, this is going to save us. This is our power, they thought. Once again, it's the projection of human wisdom onto, onto things that they thought would save them. In verse, verses 14 and 15, the Lord says, these things can't save you. In fact, they're going to burn up. And here's what's going to happen to the gods of this world. They're going to burn up, and they're not even going to provide enough warmth to keep you warm on a cold night. They're going to end in confusion, and they cannot save you. So here it is. Here in Isaiah is a picture of the world, personified by a city called Babylon, that John the Apostle, in the text we read a moment ago, says, do not love this world. This world, Babylon, this world today, Rome, or wherever, this world in the human heart, it is the world of human pride. It is the world that is pitted against the lordship of Jesus Christ. The world is a place, but more than that, the world is a spirit. It's a spirit that resides in the human heart. It is self-deification. It is self-first. Its end is destruction. Again, by the time we get to the end of Revelation chapter 18, it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Don't sit here. Let's don't sit here 2,500 years after Babylon fell in human history and fail to see that the message is for the world today. Like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress, we're, we've got to flee. Flee the world. Flee destruction. Now, we do not mean, and we hope we understand by now, we do not mean move out of the world. We do not mean stop being engaged in the world. We do not mean stop going to work. We mean flee from worldliness while we live in this world. Flee this. Don't be charmed by the world. Be faithful to Christ and to his kingdom. There are no mistresses of the kingdoms. There are no queens of the world. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to chapter 18. 
Now the Lord, having spoken to Babylon, who represents the world, the Lord now speaks to his exiles, his people, by his grace alone. These are captives. And he's saying in this chapter, by the end of the chapter, when we get to it, he's going to say, you're free now. Go home. Get out of Babylon and go home. All by his grace. I'm going to use the word grace a lot. What is it? It's God's unmerited favor towards sinners. It's God's unmerited favor towards sinners. Not unmerited favor towards righteous people, but sinners. He came to call the sick and the sinners. That is God's unmerited favor on sinners. And it's on display because these people, the people of God in this chapter, they're going to be rebuked. And they're going to be disciplined. And he says, I'm going to refine you. But in the end, I'm going to save you. There's the grace. In other words, it's very clear in this chapter that these people are saved. They are returned to their homeland in Judah and Jerusalem, not because they are righteous, but because God is gracious. The world is not made up of two kinds of people, righteous and unrighteous. The world is made up of sinners. And God, in mercy and grace and love, saves sinners and calls them into his faith. So there are three sections to chapter 48 as well. Verses 1 through 11 are the first section, and it begins with, Hear this, O house of Jacob. So now he's talking to his people. But verse 11, this first section ends with, My glory I will not give to another. And here is a rebuke to God's people for their pride. Verses 1 and 2, he says, You confess me. You call, you're called by the name of Israel. You, you, you call yourselves the citizens of Zion. Now, Zion means Jerusalem, but often in the Bible, most of the time in the Old Testament, when Zion is used, it's not just of the city itself, but of the presence of God in that city. He says, you call yourselves citizens of Zion, citizens of my presence. But, verse 2, not in truth and not in right. In other words, not from the heart. These are God's people he's talking to here. You call yourselves by name, my people, my city, in my presence, but not from the heart, not maintaining truth about who I am and loyalty and obedience to me. Verses 3 through 8, the Lord, he says, I did what I did to check your pride. It's interesting. Verses 3 through 5, the Lord declared what he was going to do. He says, I declared what I was going to do before I did it. I chose what I was going to do. I intended to do it. I declared it. And then I went out and I did it. What did he do? He delivered the people from their slavery in Egypt, and he's going to deliver the, the people from exile in Babylon. He went out and did it. Why did he do it? Because he knew. He knew what his people would do. He knew they're they, that they were proud. And he knew that if he didn't say it first, then bring it to pass, he knew that when it happened, they would say, look at the verse, my idol did it. My carved and metal image commanded it. This is human pride. Even God's people do this. When things happen, they say, I did it. It reminds us of the Exodus, doesn't it? Hundreds of years later, the people were enslaved in Egypt. The Lord raised up Moses. The Lord delivered the people from their slavery in Egypt. He brought them out. He used ten plagues to do it. The, the, the Israelites did absolutely nothing in Egypt. They just stood by and watched God. They, did, they contributed absolutely nothing to their own deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The Lord brought them out. He sent 10 plagues against the Egyptians to bring them out. And when he brought them out, he led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. It was all the Lord's doing, all of grace. And they got out in the wilderness and Moses went up on the mountain to talk to God. And he stayed a little bit too long for them and they became impatient. 
And they said, Where, where's our leader? We need provision. We need guidance. Where's our leader? They, didn't, they couldn't rely upon God. They didn't rely upon, the, upon God. And they, they looked at Aaron and they said, make for us a God. And they scraped together as much gold as they could. And they made a golden calf and they set it up. And you know what they said about that golden calf? Now think about it. This is amazing. Startling. Think about it. God Almighty delivered them from slavery in Egypt with plagues by his own power and let them out. And they got impatient. Make for us a golden calf. And they made it and they said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. Yes, that's what they did. Let's be careful. Lest we come to believe that something about us makes the difference between us and someone who doesn't know Christ. Let's be very careful. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He called us while we were still sinners. And he saved us by grace alone so that we would never, ever believe or say, I did this. I commanded this to happen. In verses 6 through 8, the Lord says it again. He says, now I'm going to declare to you something new, something you've never heard before. I'm going to tell you how you're going to get out of exile in Babylon. I'm going to tell you how to, that you're going to leave Babylon, and I, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to deliver you because I know that if I don't tell it first, you'll say that you knew it all along. Human pride, even in God's people. But verses 9 through 11 speak again of God's grace. Now, it's an interesting grace. He says, I, re I restrain my anger from you, my people. I restrain my anger from you. I did not cut you off, but look. I refine you in the furnace of affliction. The Lord wants to refine the pride out of our lives, and it is a grace that he does. It is a grace that he does because grace flows downhill to the humble. That's what the Lord is doing here. And then that great statement of the Lord, he's going to do all of this. He's going to deliver them and refine them and purify his people and show his grace and his glory. He says, for my own, verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will give, I give my glory. I will not give to another. What a beautiful statement. Now, if our hearts are not believing, if our hearts are hardened toward God, we say, how selfish of God that God would not give his glory to another. Why won't God give his glory to me? It is a grace that God will not give his glory to another. Because God's glory is reality. It simply is. God is glorious. Can you imagine what it would be like if God stopped living and being in keeping with what is real? The world would come undone. It is a grace that God says, my glory I will give to another. That keeps reality real. God is glorious. It's also God's righteousness. For God to say, my glory I'll give to another is a righteous God doing the right thing. 
if it's unrighteous for human beings to take glory from God and give it to idols or to ourselves, it's also unrighteous for God to do it. He is in keeping with righteousness. But there's more. God says, I will give my glory to no other because God intends to show his, keep his glory, preserve his glory, and show his glory. And in the end, through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, and by grace through faith, he intends to bring his people, the church of Jesus Christ, into his glory. And so we say, praise God for verse 11. Well, the Lord, in all of that, was rebuking his people for their own pride. Again, the Babylonians were proud, and so were God's people. But what does he say to his own people? Verses 12 through 19, he just simply says a word of, listen to this, listen to me. To know God, to be a Christian, we must receive God as God is, not as we want to fashion God to be. That is idolatry too. And God has presented himself as the God who will give his glory to no other, and we must receive him that way and accept him that way, but praise his name, he will bring his people into it. And here, he is calling his people to listen because he longs to do it. Hear the longing heart of God. Verse 12, I am he, the Lord says, I am God, I am he who called you, I am the first, I am the last, I created the heavens and the earth. And then he says, verses 14 through 16, this is his reference to raising up Cyrus to deliver them. I'm the one who delivered my people from their exile. There's no secret here. I'm declaring it out loud. Listen to me. Listen to me. Verse 17 and 9 through 19, I redeemed you. I delivered you. I teach you. I lead you, verse 18, oh, that you would have paid attention, that you would have listened to my commands. Do you hear the heart of God? That he wants, he wants his people to know his grace. The Lord wants his people to know his peace. The Lord wants his people to know his joy. He wants to bring his people into his glory. And so he's saying to his people, listen and live. What we must see here is that the people of God are so, not because they're righteous, because they're proud. They are only God's people because God has shown his mercy and his grace toward them. And he is calling them into his future and his glory. And his gracious calling is to be listened to to be heard by faith. It's faith that is the opposite of pride. We say humility is the opposite of pride, yes, but if it's human pride and human humility, then even the human humility becomes human pride. It is faith. By grace through faith. That's what the Lord means when he says, listen and live, walk by faith. Pride claims for the self. Pride clings to the self. Faith receives. Faith has an open hand. Faith responds. Faith listens. Faith heeds grace. It is not human something versus human something else. It's human pride versus human grace. God gets the glory. And then we come to the final section. And here, here, is, here is the pronouncement of God. We've not heard it said like this yet in Isaiah. It's in verse 20. Go out 
from Babylon. That's their captivity. It's like Jesus saying, come out from that tomb. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the desert. He made water flow for them from the rock, and he split the rock, and the water gushed out. And then, another word of warning, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Well, those who are called by God's grace, that makes the difference. That's the difference between the world and God's people. Only grace. Those who are called by grace, living by faith, are the redeemed of the Lord. The Lord is their redeemer. The Lord says, leave Babylon. Leave Babylon. Babylon, leave worldliness, return to the Lord. He's not saying leave the world. He's not saying move to some remote island or move to the desert or move to a mountain and hide out there until it's all over. He's not saying do that. He's saying leave Babylon as a spirit. Leave the spirit of pride, the spirit of anti-God, leave it. Go out of Babylon. Be free from this. And walk by faith. And when you walk by faith, what will be before you? A rock. A rock will be before you. A rock from which you will drink. Again, all these images we see, we look back to the time when God's people were in the wilderness and they left Egypt and they went out into the wilderness. And the Lord, it says, the Lord went before them on the rock. The Lord stood before them on the rock. And he told Moses, strike the rock, split the rock. Out of the rock came water to, to get for the thirst of the people. And we read Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, that rock was Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ was in the wilderness with those people calling them to faith, calling them to faithfulness, calling them to trust God, showing them the grace of God, feeding them, giving them water for their thirst, leading them all the way. God is calling his people out of worldliness, out of the world, again, not physically out of the world, in the world faithful, but calling the worldliness out of his people. And he's saying, walk with me by faith. What grace that is. He could have left us in the world. He could have left us in Babylon, but he didn't. He called us out. There's a beautiful little chorus, a song that was from my younger years as a Christian. You probably know it. I have decided to follow Jesus. And one of the verses in there says, The world behind me, the cross before me, Babylon behind me. The rock, Christ, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. God's calling you. He's calling you out of Babylon, calling you out of the world. He's calling the world out of you. And of course, he's sending his church back into the world. But not with the world in us, not with human pride in us, but by faith. He's calling us out to put us back in. He says in verse 22, he closes with this, you know, sometimes I don't question. I don't question. It's the word of God. And Isaiah wrote the word of God, so I don't question. But sometimes I, I maybe wonder, but I don't question. 
He ends chapter 48. There's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. He's just, he just called them out of Babylon, told them they're going home, and then says, but there's no peace for the wicked. We always have to ask the context. What's the wickedness in this context? Well, it's human pride. It's the spirit of Babylon in the heart. He says there's no peace there. But there's peace. There's peace that flows from God by His grace through Jesus Christ that is received by faith. So what do we do with Isaiah 47 and 48 today? Once again, as we've heard over and over from Isaiah, we repent and believe. We turn to Christ. A specific phrase we would use today, we come out from Babylon. We go home and we pray and we say, God, search my heart. Where's the world, worldliness in here? Where's that spirit of self and pride and boasting in here? God, pull it out and bring me out. Holy Spirit, work in me. And then we say, God, the cross before me, the rock, the split rock out of which comes eternal life, Christ himself is before me. I walk, I walk by faith. 